The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Not living in a real world, a fallacy world, I, I said just cut his throat. And uh, before I knew it, a friend of mine pulled out a knife and, and cut his throat. Coming up, John Skipworth chose a life of trouble that eventually sent him to prison, but God set him free. God, forgive me for being a murderer. God, forgive me for being a liar. God, forgive me for being a drug addict. And I just, it just felt like moments, and I was just, just crying out to God, forgive me for all the disappointment, for all the hurt. I'm just broken before you today. And it is a joy. It's, it's a privilege. This is an incredible story. Uh, we, do, we don't have any dull stories on life today, this, but this is amazing. This, this is a guy that he didn't, he didn't have a, a father situation that was the best. And uh, I mean, you talk about really getting uh, trapped until you do like the dumbest thing you can imagine, horrific. And then an indescribable, improbable miracle occur. And just have a, a blessing that only, you know, like a miracle that only a God could do. And that, that's the, the story with, uh, really with John and, and Brooke Skipworth. And they're from over in Louisiana and uh, go to uh, part of a church staff there in West Monroe. And I want you to welcome uh, John and Brooke, would you? Welcome back to Glad to see you. All right, John, I want, I want us to cover some ground. Okay, okay you and yes. I both had a, some father issues. And uh, my father had a drinking problem. He was an alcoholic. Yes, and and, and I, it repulsed me. It so wrecked the man that I'd only seen a few times and then came into our home and made it hell on earth, tried to kill me and my mother. But what, what had happened to him through alcohol was so repulsive, I wanted nothing to do with it. A lot of people that have alcohol in their family are a big issue there. It just really goes just like the sins of the father right on to the kids. Mm -hmm. Somehow, John didn't handle the situation well. So tell us, tell us what's going on. Tell us sure. the story. Yes, sir. I am uh, one sibling of five, and I have three stepbrothers who later became my adopted brothers, and I had one half-sister. So growing up in a family uh, with the same father is none of your siblings and the same mother is one of your siblings and not the same last name of any of your siblings <laughs> could be very confusing uh, for any child, but especially was for me. And, and James, just to cover some ground and to, and to set up where we're going. What direction. age were you when you had all this mix? Uh, my, my mother and father, my biological father, they, I don't have a memory of them together at two. I believe they, the number they've given me two, they were apart. And uh, my stepfather, who later became my adopted father, took parental custody of me. He, he was in the picture from probably two, two and a half, three. And honestly, uh, because I lived with them, proximity, and spent more time with him, worked with him, worked on the farm uh, for a tremendous amount of my life. I looked at him more so as my father. And of course, he, at that point in time in his life, had a severe alcohol problem as well, was a severe alcoholic. And uh, for me, I think it set me up to be just the poster child for an identity crisis. But uh, my mother and father, uh, stepfather, eventually split up Years long overdue, he was an abusive alcoholic, much like your scenario, violence in the home, uh, physical violence in the home. Um, 
So eventually, about 16, 17 years old, all my siblings were gone. Stepbrothers were gone. Uh, Half-sister was gone. They were all married or in college or with their own families. And I was a sophomore in high school. My parents split up. And, uh, and I was tired of running, James, just to be honest. Our lives had been so turbulent from, from Shreveport to Bossier to Louisiana to Arkansas to my grandparents. Just no stability. And I was ready for stability. And somehow I dreamed up an idea that I could just uh, not be bothered by any of it and I was going to stay. So when my mom left, I said, Mom, I'm staying. And uh, my stepfather at that time said, you know, I would love to have you stay. Maybe as a last hope for my mom to come back. Maybe for somebody to be with him. And let me tell you what that turned into. 16 years old, you couldn't beat me on on a pool table. Probably still can't today because I spent every night of my life in a honky-tonk mm -hmm. as a designated driver driving my broken-hearted adopted stepfather uh, from, from barroom to barroom through one of the darkest hours of his life, which led me into feeling like that was my identity. Okay, this is, this is, this is where I belong. And so I gravitated into the drugs and the alcohol at 16, 17, 18 years old out of really uh, a need in me to figure out where I fit in life. Where, where do I belong? What is my identity? And so that's how the, the road of the wrong road got started in my life. Where did that take you? Well, that took me to at 17, 18 years old um, because, because we had moved so much and because I knew so many people, no parental supervision. Uh, we owned a big farm, a big house, charge accounts for gas. Uh, to the liquor store at the other end of our of our town, and so basically we just had uh, the perfect concoction, if you will, for the perfect storm. And just everybody was coming over to our house on the weekends, all my high school friends, and it was big bonfires and big parties. And that led to 17, 18 years old drinking, fighting, uh, and within about 90 days of of no parental supervision like that, drugs were introduced to the picture. And within 90 days of that. I was an IV drug addict, sticking needles in my arm, cocaine, methamphetamines, and uh, that led me to a series from 18 to 22 of three felony convictions, the first of which was uh, 18 years old. I was uh, trying to fit in with this group of drug dealers who were buying drugs and bringing drugs from uh, Dallas, Texas to Shreveport and pushing them on the streets. And uh, a hotel room situation one night, drug deal went bad, and I was going to prove who I was and proved I fit and proved I belong, and this was going to be my identity. And uh, a drug deal went bad, and a fist fight broke out, and a young man was, was, several people were hurt, but one man was brutally beaten. And after he was left unconscious, a friend of mine and I uh, took him down the road to get him out of our hotel room, and that led to a robbery situation. My friend and the gentleman at that time came back conscious and uh, led to uh, my friend cutting this man's throat, and we left him for dead. And did you have anything to do with that throat cutting? Did you? I, I did, James. I was actually, uh, I was actually the guy waiting in the vehicle. And when my friend never showed up, I went down there and I said, "What's going on?" And I saw they were both conscious, and and it was a struggle going on. And I went down there and I struck the young man with a with a big billy club and knocked him down and running away, and just a, a drug stupor and a blur not living in a real world, a fallacy world. I, I said, just cut his throat. And uh, before I knew it, a friend of mine pulled out his knife and, and cut his throat. How old was the guy whose throat was cut? Probably. And uh, he was probably about 23, 24, 25. We left him in a ditch, went back to a hotel room. Uh, everybody began panicking, trying to figure out what to do. A pastor, Easter morning, sunrise service, setting up his chairs, Bossier City, Louisiana, Swan Lake Road, heard a young man gurgling and went down to the ditch. And long story short, uh, ended up calling the 
paramedics calling the authorities. The friend saw the authorities, saw the friend in the white bed sheet from the hotel room, and uh, they rushed him to a hospital. His father was a leading surgeon in Shreveport, Louisiana, Dr. Bird, James Bird, sewed his son's throat back together, saved his son's life by his own admission, just a few centimeters away from, from slicing his jugular vein. And probably if the pastor hadn't stopped, he would have died anyway. Mm -hmm. yes, so it's a miracle he lived. And it was a miracle. And so that led to uh, about a 73-day jail arrest. And uh, I did the worst thing in the world. Well, I, I cried wolf, said I was innocent, had no part in it. And my parents did the worst thing in the world. They believed me and enabled me and came to my rescue. And 73 days later, I was walking free and feeling like I was invincible. But at that point, and, uh, and I believe many of the viewer audience would connect with this if, if they've ever fought an addiction, uh, my drug addiction spiraled out of control. I didn't have the friends anymore, didn't have the drug connections, and I just became a skid row drug addict very, very, very quickly, doing anything that it took. I got picked up for possession, guilty of distribution of cocaine within a matter of 90 days after my family spending lots of money and coming to my rescue. It's my second felony conviction at 19 years old. For over the next couple of years, uh, burned every bridge, told every lie, broke every heart, let everyone down, as you know drugs and alcohol will do. And uh, anyways, what ended up happening at 22 years old, I uh, went on a drug binge, a high-speed police chase, was arrested for a string of robberies with guns, without guns, ski masks, with, with weapons of people, individual stores. Definitely not proud of any of it, and I was, it was just, you know, trying to, to feed an addiction that, that, had, that had me in its grasp. And so at 23 years old, I was arrested for the third and final conviction of first-degree robbery after a high-speed police chase and a helicopter, state troopers, Shreveport, Bossier City Police. And uh, that night, I was hiding in the back of a shed, James, and, and I was tired of running. And I was, I was tired of living the life. And I, I didn't have the answers, but I turned myself in because I was ready for a change. And I went and turned myself in. And I woke up a few days later, and they took me to an arraignment. And oblivious, uh, oblivious to my knowledge, in the state of Louisiana, three felony convictions or three strikes and you're out. They called it a multi-bill. They marched me down to a courthouse, presented a piece of paper, and they said, uh, if you won't make the taxpayers spend their money, your own camera, you're guilty, you have two convictions, you're arrested now for five or six more felonies, uh, we'll do you a favor. We won't give you the multi-bill, which constitutes a life sentence in the state of Louisiana. We'll just give you 20 years. You'll serve every day if you'll sign the paper today. Uh, you'll come home in 20 years. And that was the experience that led me to go back to a jail, Cattle Parish Jail, laid down on the floor in a jail cell. No one to impress, no telephone calls to make, no one to reach out to, no lies to tell, no scams to run, no games to play for the first time in my life like Jacob. In Genesis 32, I had to lay down on the floor and I was all alone. And uh, I had to face the music, lay in the bed that I had made. And uh, now what I would refer to as a purging, a spiritual purging. I laid down on the ground and I just began to cry out to God and tell him how ashamed I was of what I had done to my family, to my father, to my stepfather, to my mother, to our reputation, to uh, family members that I had hurt. God, forgive me for being a murderer. God, forgive me for being a liar. God, forgive me for being a drug addict. And I just, it just felt like moments and I was just, just crying out to God. And I wasn't saying, God, save me and get me out of jail and give me a happy tomorrow. I was just saying, God, would you just forgive me for all the disappointment, for all the hurt? I'm just broken before you today. And uh, I wish I could say I saw angels in the heavens parted. It didn't happen that way. And, 
Eventually, over the next two or three months, I had a relentless mom who would never give up on me. She was doing the best with what she had and what she knew to do. We had heard about a program uh, through a church, ironically enough, in Shreveport, uh, Shreveport Community Church, Pastor Denny Duran and Francis and Rodney Duran, great, great personal. They're my spiritual mom and dad today and my spiritual grandparents. Bless you, Denny. Bless you, buddy. And uh, my mom got me in a program that their church had a faith-based drug rehab. And uh, somehow a judge signed an order and I was led into a program and five years to the day on an Easter Sunday, I walked in to Karnak, Texas to a place called Eagle Creek Recovery Center. And when I walked in, they took me in a room and they said, do you know the Bird family? And I said, man, I'm trying to get my life right with God. I, I thought it was somebody trying to, to relate to me on a street level. And, and that was JP's last name, JP Bird. And I said, I don't want to talk about that. I'm, 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 you know, I don't know how long before they're going to send me to prison. I really am trying to be in this program to get the most. And they said, no, I don't think you understand, John. The Bird family is the reason you're here. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, when they found out you were trying to get in the program, their son came here five years ago and God saved him, filled him with the Holy Spirit. And he's in ministry today. And for five years, they've been praying for you and the other two boys that almost killed their son. And God spoke to them and said, you're the seed wow. to see the other two Amen. saved. And so they're here at the church tonight and they want to meet you after service. Wow. Easter Sunday, five years to the day, Shreveport Community Church. The Durons took a chance on me. The Bird family took a chance on me, brought me into their church, brought me into their fellowship. I was there for seven months, and uh, Frances Duron became my mama <laughs> and uh, brought me to her house and work, poured into my life, fed me ice cream at her kitchen counter, prophesied over me, told me who I was in God. <laughs> Pastor Rodney, her husband, was alive at that time, and I'd walk in the doors, and he'd say, Hey, champion, you man of God. And I would say, well, the evangel football team must be behind me because he can't be talking to me. And, and you know, James, here's the truth. They weren't powerful words because they made me feel good. They were powerful words that no one had ever spoken over me about my identity. Mm -hmm. And it was what God had said about me, that I was the light of the world, the salt of the earth. It is a miracle story, mm -hmm. what you heard. The man was changed, man. And uh, the whole miracle even starts with that, that boy's life being spared. It's a series of miracles. Mm -hmm. And I, Brooke, you're just, you look like one of those angels he's talking about that didn't come in. You finally showed up. You showed up, and you're sitting here listening to the story. What do, you, what do you think when he tells where he was? And you heard him as a working with young people in your church, mm -hmm. I guess, in West Monroe, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was with Shane Warren's pastor. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So you're just one of the girls there. And yeah, you see something girls. in him, and you don't see drugs and all that. What did you see in him? Well, I mean, I saw that he was a man of God and that's something, he was genuine and that's something that I, I mean, I was off at college and when I came back, of course, you're starting to transition that season of starting to look and, you know, <laughs> I never saw. I started I, looking before college. <laughs> <laughs> I found this over here. <laughs> well, you did good. <laughs> no, I guess it was just to that point where you start looking for someone who's genuinely a man of God. I mean, you meet Christian boys all the time, but <laughs> They, you know, then there wasn't much separation between them and the world. And I met him before I even knew his story. And I was like, okay, that's a man of God. And then I hear his story and I'm like, okay, never mind, God. You know, it's a little scary. <laughs> I remember our first date, we went on a motorcycle ride and I'm riding in the back of the motor, a motorcycle. And oh, you see tattoos, yeah, Harley. And there's his shirt's riding up and there's tattoos in his arm. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? But it turned out, I mean, God knew what he wanted for us. To and you can't believe where he was when you yeah. see him. Oh, definitely not. It's like, even hearing the story, it just sounds like fiction. Like, every time <laughs> I hear it, 
I can't like connect the dots to where he was and what he is now because there's no, I mean, there's no connection. So you hear the greatness of God in his story, don't exactly. you? Exactly. And you see the greatness and the grace of oh, God. Oh, I definitely do. Yes, and Betty, it's a story. Could be everybody's story. Well, it's, is watching. it's where you know we could all be without the grace of God. Exactly. And, and no matter where we've been or where we are, God can do the same for you or any one of us if we'll turn our hearts over to him and let him take over our lives and change our lives. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't matter what we've done. Have you told your story in a testimony? I see a a little DVD here I think could get through the church called by a new name. Is this basically kind of your story? Yes, sir, it is. If somebody wanted to get it, say they want to maybe get it to a prisoner or somebody in their family that's struggling, absolutely. would there a website they could go to and they could ask, would you send it to them? Oh, absolutely. What's the website? Uh, www.theassemblywm.org, which right. is our church website, The Assembly. That's too long for most of us, <laughs> remember? So there it is. It's on the screen. And, and here's the thing that you know. Anytime you hear something, say, I wish I'd have gotten that, you can always go to lifetoday.org. You can watch the show again. You can get that, or you could call the prayer center and say, give me that website, because I think this might be really helpful to someone who's been through some kind of a huge battle. And I just praise God for your testimony. You're a beautiful couple. Would you say thanks to this beautiful couple, the Skipworths? And I want to say to Shane Warren and and, uh, Christopher there, my buddy. To all of you there on staff, thank you. And by the way, thank you for your prayers. And you're over there by the Duck Dynasty bunch. Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> we, we love all those. that We love their witness and their testimony. And, and here's the thing I think you'll, you'll really appreciate. One of, one of the things that life does, all of you here in the audience know this, we, we really try to share the life of God, the love sure. of God. Our primary focus is on the potentially billion people that we can talk to every day right here on television. And, and we want to help you. And, and it's as though you might be the only one watching. And to just know God loves you and wants you to know he is noticing. Here's what I'd like you to see. We, we have 11 grandchildren. You're going to see in a moment, and you're going to have to really kind of keep watching, you're going to see our oldest grandson and his wife of a year. And a one-year anniversary, one year married, you're going to see where they were. And uh, I want you to listen to the heart of God through one of our grandchildren, and I want you to look at what they're talking about and ask God, what do you want me to do? I think you're going to be moved. Watch. Trey Hoon used to work in his village to provide for his family. But since his wife left him, he now takes this long walk every day to collect water for his three children. Huhakle. Hushaw and who come fake. When our mission team learned of Trey's story, his children literally stole their hearts. Trey shared with the team that his oldest daughter died one year ago from drinking the dirty water which made her sick. Trey fears his other children will die because he has no other choice but to get water from the dirty pond. His youngest child, who come fake, has become the sickest of his three children, and she is continually lying down to try and get comfortable. All of this has driven Trey to tell us he has no hope. 
Tao ra bay sân khâm sân khâm bán 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 I think the worst part about the whole story is that he says that he has no hope, like that um, he's just in survival mode. And that's just really difficult to be in a situation where there isn't any hope or joy or peace or anything. And what's amazing is we have the answer for them, and that is clean water. And we're asking you to please help us be able to bring life-giving water to this family and to other families and villages around here. Please partner with us and help us. There are not adequate words to describe the gratitude to see our oldest grandson, married a year, standing there with his little bride, looking at those precious children. Betty, I wanted to take every one of them, and I know Luke and Cassie, uh, they did hold those precious children, including that little baby, and loved them. And uh, Luke started saying he was going to go to the mission field when he was four years old. He told me, I'm going to go, and we're going to feed people, because if we don't, they will die, Papa. And, uh, and now there he is. That's his anniversary, his first one year. That's where it was spent. And uh, for Cassie, they said she won everybody to Christ in Cambodia that had two legs. She was after all of them. <laughs> And there they are loving him. And what he's saying is we can do something for that little family. Betty, they don't have to keep drinking that filthy water and seeing the child sick. And for him to say he has no hope, and you and I know that hope is watching right here. Hope rises up in our heart and then is expressed through loving hearts, and we give the hope. Well, James, I know there's no greater heartache than a parent watching their child suffer and know that every moment they're in pain and they can do nothing. There are some situations where we can't do anything. We can love them and be close to them. But there's this situation where something can be done, and we must do it for the sake of these precious children. So I hope you will feel it in your heart to want to help. Let's make a difference. Let's, let's drill the water well so that these people can have an opportunity to offer something good for their children, clean water that won't hurt them and kill them in some situations. Well, I, I guess I feel like that, that, that I knew I'd be talking to the answer. I'd be talking to you. But you you're a hope's answer. You're the answer for hope. You really are. We, we together. And I can just already tell you, because Betty and I will do it, and I will tell our grandson, we'll, we'll drill a well. Betty and I will drill a well right there. We started years ago, when we started drilling wells, we said, God... Every time we come to drill a well, please help us. And, and when we first started, we couldn't drill a well. But then we got where we could drill a whole well. They were 3600 And then the price went up because the cost goes up. And now it's 4800 We'd be able to hold it there. But we'll, we'll, we'll do that. And I, Luke and Cassie can hear that. They're going to get a well. But we need to drill 500 wells in situations like that with precious little children like that and parents like that. And I believe with all my heart you want to do that. We have some beautiful gifts to send you to say thank you. This is a devotional guide for every day and a journal. Every day a new day. You're going to love this. And uh, it's divided by seasons of the year. And then the Jesus, uh, Names of Jesus pin set, uh, two pins that are just beautiful. 
and then the uh, incredible uh, painting by Thomas Kincaid, Forest Chapel. We send those gifts to say thanks, but that's not why you give. I don't believe any one of you, I don't believe one of you give to get. I believe you give because it's a blessing to give life. And we're going to share them water for life and tell them about the water of life. And when they see love, they receive it because it's so real to them. Would you right now go to lifetoday.org? Or would you dial the number there on the screen and take your bank card, use it like a check. That's how you should always use it. But I want you to make the largest gift you can. Remember, $48. And this is where most of the money comes for the wells. People who give $48 and others join. And, and, and that gives 10 people water the rest of their life. That's how it breaks out. 144, 30 people. Somebody gives 1,200, three people join, we got a well. 2,400, another person joins, we got a well. At any level, see, there is no area too great or too small if we just do what God put on our heart and what we can do. If you can give a well, I know you'll want to. And I believe you will. So would you please reach out and touch someone with love right now? Dial the number. Go online, lifetoday.org, and make that gift. If you write a check, please call the number and tell us you're putting it in the mail. Would you do that? And thank you so much for doing it. Every day, millions of children are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink filthy, polluted water filled with deadly disease or die from thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most exciting and viable demonstrations of God's love in the world today. Suffering can end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, we can establish and drill 500 water wells for remote villages in over 12 different nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10 people. $72 will impact 15 people. And $144 will help provide fresh, clean, disease-free water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, you'll receive the Every Day A New Day devotional. Broken out into the four seasons of the year, this daily devotional features scriptures, inspirational thoughts, a Bible reading plan, and a place for you to journal each day. With your gift of $100 or more, you may request the Names of Jesus pen set, one inscribed with the names of Jesus found in Scripture, and the other reflecting the gifts of the Spirit. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people, or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well, and request this beautifully framed canvas print of The Forest Chapel by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your secure gift online today. Betty and I are really excited to send you these beautiful, literally seasonal, every day a new day. There's 365 days. And with the uh, devotional uh, guide and the scriptures, you'll have a place to journal your thoughts. It becomes a real time of growing in the presence of the Lord. And you're going to love the insights and inspiration that's shared. I want you to join us with the audience here and saying thanks so much, uh, uh, literally, to our incredible guests, John and and Brooks Kipling. What a beautiful couple. Bless y'all. You give our regards to your church of our new All right. All right. And I'm a bigger hunter than Shane or okay. Chris. We'll talk. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for sharing.
be sure to visit stream.org, a rich and lively source for breaking news, analysis, and entertainment. Stream.org. Tomorrow, Ken and Johnny Erickson Tata share how they rely on God's strength while suffering in the snare of ongoing disability and disease. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.